The power of the cyclone enjoys a long memory. You may build a settlement here that thrives for many years, but someday, when you have long forgotten our people, the boy will enact vengeance. Richard Cox, Boys of Summer. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Well, it's finally summer, which means water parks, sleepaway camp, and vacation. But don't worry, we aren't taking a break from the podcast. Instead, we're recommending some bloody beach reads for the summer months on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening! So a lot of people talk about reading seasonally where they pick up different books at different times of the year. The fall is typically considered to be the season of horror, but we wanted to do an episode highlighting horror that would be perfect to read during the summer months. So let's just jump into it. Stephanie, would you say that your reading changes seasonally? To a degree. I mean, there is something about reading a book where the setting and the season kind of matches what you're experiencing. I think it makes it a little more immersive if you're reading about a blizzard and, you know, it's winter and it's snowing outside. Do you find you tend to pick up different books in the summer months specifically? Like, do you have like your summer reads? I think so. I think I tend to go for more plot-driven stories. I don't think summer is a time for slow burns. And I think that's just because I'm busier and I'm going to be setting the book down probably more often to do stuff. And I need something where I can pick it back up and kind of get right back into the action. How about you? Yeah, really similar. Like I find that I need books that are very immersive during the summer. I tend to read in really distracted settings. One thing we do is my husband is really into go-karting, which we've talked about a little bit outside the (laughs) podcast because I'm very cool. And so that means that I'm trying to read while there are little go-karts zipping around on this racetrack. So I do try to find more action-driven stories, more thrillers. I pretty much read horror year round like the kinds of horror I'm reading is different like more you know summer slashers but definitely horror isn't something that we just save for the fall like other people is that fair to say oh yeah come on (laughs) we're always reading horror well I read multiple books all the time so you can safely assume that at least half of them are horror So would you say you read differently during the summer? I do. I find I read less during the summer. I feel obligated to not just be a bookworm, enjoy the nice weather. And when I am reading, it tends to be outside, again, trying to take advantage of that sun. I have this really amazing hammock in my backyard. I can just like sit with a book and read. But 
That leads to issues because I cannot read on my tablet during the summer outside, which means I have to pick up physical books, which changes what I'm reading because I've noticed that a lot of the horror I tend to read is often digital copies, which doesn't work so well. So that was last weekend. I wanted to read a horror book so badly, but all the ones that I wanted to read were on my tablet and I was outside. So I was really frustrated. So that's challenging. How about you? I think I'm the opposite here. I think I tend to read more on my Kindle because during the summer, I feel like we're on the go a lot and I want something portable without having to bring a bunch of books like if we're taking a weekend trip or something oh that's interesting yeah because for me it's all about the sunlight just blocking it with your kindle are you able to read outside but can you see the screen not really so therefore i just limit my relationship with the outdoors i respect that you've got your priorities right (laughs) we are not friends as we have (laughs) talked about (laughs) yeah this isn't the outdoors podcast for a reason And you mentioned that you might go away for a weekend. I think a lot of people associate summer with vacation. So are there kinds of books that you like to pick up when you're going on vacation or when you're traveling around? I think so. If I'm traveling, I'll try to get something from the area that I'm visiting. But if like that's just not working, I do tend to pick something that's a little more on the emotional side, like a good coming of age story or a family saga. I know a lot of people like bee treats, but I think Gillian Flynn has ruined me for like most domestic thrillers. Like they just don't impress me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm starting to have a really complicated relationship with thrillers too. I like the idea of reading books that kind of match the area that you're traveling to. I am really bad for that. My husband and I went on this amazing vacation to Montreal. It was just gorgeous there. And of course, the book that I decided to read while there was Outlander, which is like a Scottish romance. So now whenever I think of Scotland, I think of Montreal and it have this weird association, but I know most people line up their reading a little bit better for vacation. I did that too. We went to Germany last year and we were staying in Berlin and I was reading The Song of Achilles, which I loved, (laughs) but it's about, you know, this epic and ancient Greece. And I'm like, urban city of Berlin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we're really good at this picking up vacation (laughs) reads, are we? So what for you makes a horror book a summer book? Well, there's a couple things that I look for. First of all, if it has the word summer in the title, I think that it's a summer horror book. And I mentioned that because I think about four of the books we're going to be talking about today <laughs> literally have the word summer in there. So that's a good jumping off point. I go right for the literal. My brain works that way. I'm a very logical person. But otherwise, I think it's safe to say that, like you mentioned earlier, Those books are typically set during the summer, doing specific activities or events that only take place during those hot summer months. And then the weather or the temperature also plays a role in the story in some way. It can be very atmospheric, talking about that like hot and sticky summer feeling. And like you said, I also tend to think of lighter horror stories, the more entertaining kind, the Rachel horror books, as we've been calling them lately, (laughs) as summer books, just because they're a little bit less scary, a little bit funnier. And for me, it just works because I'm not always looking for really dense, emotionally draining story during the summer months. I do try to pick up lighter books, but for me, it's not a light contemporary. It's a light horror because 
that's how my brain works. And I know yours is pretty similar when it comes to picks. Is that fair? I think so. A subgenre that I think works amazing in the summer is survival horror, which if you want more recommendations on that, you can listen to our previous episode that we did all about that. And we will have one book making a reappearance on this episode. Very outdoorsy. People are outside. I was going to say, it doesn't describe us, but I'm sure other people have that summer experience that would relate a lot better to survival horror. Like going backpacking and hiking for fun. Yeah. I don't know why you would do that for fun, but if you do, read survival horror. I also think stories centering around young people or YA stories are great because most of these times these characters are students and it's a time in your life when summer is, you know, a set time where it's completely free. You don't have school and it's just, you know, three months that are just for you, which I think opens up so much opportunity for storytelling. And I think that's why a lot of stories that center around young people are set in the summer. So I think having like teenage or young characters and like YA stories definitely works for summer as well. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, something that has the hot weather or maybe is centered around nature a little bit, I think also works for a good summer horror book. So before we get into actual book recommendations, I know that there's also a lot of really good summer horror movies out there. Do you want to recommend some horror movies for people to watch over the summer months? I don't think these are going to be very mind-blowing recommendations. I would say these are very much the obvious choice. (laughs) That's okay. You're talking to the person who is doing a lot of catch-up watching on a lot of horror movies that they didn't watch as a teenager. So you're talking to the right audience with me here. Go for it. (laughs) So I think a good pairing for this, I'm going to say Friday the 13th. Personally, the first one is my favorite, but it's set at a summer camp. It's not set while summer camp is in session. Like the camp counselors go a week early to kind of get everything set up. And it's the camp counselors who are targeted and killed off one by one. It's just a really good slasher movie. Also, random Kevin Bacon is in it. (laughs) That's always a plus. He has a really cool death scene. Sorry for that spoiler, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's safe when it's a slasher. Yeah, definitely. So Friday the 13th and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think, is another really good summer horror movie. And then I will say another movie, which is actually just an adaptation of a movie we're going to talk about later. So I'll bring it up later. Those are some good ones. I was trying to think of some recommendations myself. But when I started thinking about it, I had trouble coming up with recommendations because I haven't watched as many horror movies as I'd like to. I have some of the Friday the 13th movies on Canadian Netflix. I'd like to watch I Know What You Did Last Summer because that's kind of like that thriller horror classic for teens. And I do enjoy teenagers getting slashed up. So that (laughs) one sounds really promising. It's on my to watch list. So hopefully I can yeah check out some of these and maybe report back as usual in a later episode. And we can also open this up to our listeners if you want to tweet at us with a good summer horror movie to pair up with a good summer horror book. Please do. All right. Should we get into some book recommendations? I think we should. I'm excited about your first one. I am too. So this is a slasher story and it is called The Summer is Ended and We Are Not Yet Saved by Joey Camau. The synopsis is Martin is going to Bible camp for the summer because his mom, a horror makeup and special effects artist, has a really exciting job opportunity and his grandparents have been begging him to try out this camp. He makes friends and he's really excited about archery and swimming, but then bad things start happening. Oh, I love when bad things start happening. (laughs) So this is a little different than the usual slasher story because the children are much younger. 
And there was a very strong relationship between Martin and his mother that I thought just raised the emotional stakes in a book, which I appreciated. I would say the only thing I didn't love, I think maybe might have worked a little better for you, was that you knew who the murderer was. Mm Mm-hmm. And in between the chapters, you get letters from Martin's mom to Martin. Her chapters were cracking me up. She's very quirky and chatty. And I think when I read them, I read them in Lauren Graham's voice as Lorelai Gilmore, because that's just the pacing of the letters and how she's just describing her day and how her job is going. And they were very fun. This was a really good one. I will say this was room temperature for me. I thought I was the only one who made the connection with Lorelai Gilmore. I definitely thought the mother reminded me of her. Just how her relationship with her son was a little bit less traditional. And yeah, she was very quirky and funny. So you thought that as well? Now I no longer think my musings were as (laughs) brilliant because apparently everyone's thinking that. I think it was just the way that they were read. You could read them in her voice and like the same rhythm that Lauren Graham recites her lines as Lorelai. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, very full of pop culture, very snappy. And I think it's been a little while since you've read this book. I have actually read this really recently. And the reason was because I knew we were doing an episode on summer horror. And I remember messaging you, you and saying, well, what books are you reading? And you listed them all off. And I'm like, okay, great. And then I heard about this book, The Summer Has Ended and We Are Not Yet Saved. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have checked it out for myself. It looks great. Read it, loved it. Went to go and add it to my list for the podcast episode and realized that you had definitely told me you were going to read it. So I (laughs) did not pay attention at all. And you definitely said you were going to talk about this one well before I picked it up. It's kind of nice that we both read it. I'd probably say it was at least fridge gore wise. There is a lot of slasher action happening. Like definitely not scary, but if you're not okay with like you mentioned, young children getting harmed. It's a tough one. So I wouldn't give this to my mother, but there's very few oh, yeah. more books I give to my mother for reference sake. But I just love this one. One thing you mentioned is that the mom is a horror makeup artist and those scenes just push this over the top for me. She, in this one scene, needed eyeballs for some makeup set that she was doing. And so she ended up going to the dollar store and buying dolls and plucking the eyeballs out of them for this thing or look that she was going for and I just thought it was so brilliant and it just made me really want to like watch a documentary on a real makeup artist for horror movies and find out like how they do all of it and oh those scenes were just perfect so I think anyone who's a fan of horror slashers will really enjoy those details oh I definitely think so too and that's right I totally not forgot but I didn't register that yeah there is quite a high gore level because this is a slasher book and I think it's definitely worse because they're not teenagers they're like young children so it's pretty I don't want to say awful but it's pretty like heart-wrenching it's a good point because I went in expecting it to be another like fun slasher and it definitely has those aspects to it but I almost think it's a bit more emotional and devastating than I expected I heard another reviewer describe it as a deconstruction of a slasher story and I really do agree with that. I just think it's a really smart version of a slasher. So if you enjoy those slasher stories like I do but are looking for one that's maybe a little bit more insightful and will give you a bit more to chew on when you're all said and done, this is a great one. So I give this one an extra thumbs up for me because I knew you were going to talk about it but I still wanted to give my little piece in there anyway. And I'm glad you did, because then people would have been running thinking it was room temperature and being... Be like, whoa, whoa, Stephanie. (laughs) I think someone has gotten a little desensitized from reading too much horror. 
That's very possible. <laughs> What's your book? So my book is Boys of Summer by Richard Cox, which was our quote at the beginning of the episode. So this story is set in the town of Wichita Falls. In 1872, European settlers displaced a tribe of Native Americans called the Wichita. The chief warned the settlers about an old legend where a boy had the ability to harness the power of the cyclone. And the chief warned that one day this boy would enact his vengeance on the community of Europeans. Fast forward to 1979, the town is now being devastated by a powerful tornado that sweeps through the town, killing many people and leaving thousands homeless and putting one young boy into a coma. Four years later, then in 1983, the boy Tommy wakes up. However, his sense of reality is a bit off. And I'm going to leave the synopsis there. There's quite a bit of layers to the story, as you can guess. So I really wanted to make sure I kind of got that all in there. This is a good book to recommend for people who really enjoy atmospheric stories. As I mentioned, it's all set in the summer, as you would expect, in these different time periods. And as you can guess from that synopsis, the weather, particularly the storms, are very predominant to the story. And I really think that people who enjoy atmospheric stories are going to love this one. I struggle sometimes with atmosphere, so I actually say that this would have been a better book for Stephanie to have read because I feel like you would have liked this a lot more than I would have. Really? I felt like it had a good sense of place, which I know is something you like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's a place. <laughs> and that's just my personal preference. It's also very slow paced, which is something I think you have a better tolerance for than I do. So keeping in mind that this wasn't a like five-star read for me, but I do think it was well-written. It was interesting. It just didn't quite have enough narrative drive is the word I like to say to really be a Rachel book. All that being said, there's still some really cool things about it. And I do think there's an audience for it. I did not realize when I was reading this that this is about a real town. It is not fictional, but is actually based around this town that had a tornado that devastated it in 79. And I like the fact that the story is somewhat based in reality. It always ups the creep factor for me. I couldn't find a lot of details whether or not there was an urban legend around this powerful cyclone, but certainly the idea that this event did happen and it was one of the worst catastrophes to happen and just the death toll and everything that came from it. So I really like that. The author also brings a lot of forecasts into the story. He actually used real forecasts from that time and a lot of the different chapters and sections are separated by different weather condition reports. And so again, like place and time and atmosphere and weather are just really play heavily into the story. And as you might be able to guess from the title of this, The Boys of Summer, the song actually plays a really big role in the story because the main character, Tommy, when he wakes up in 83, he makes friends with a group of children at that time. And they call themselves the Boys of Summer after that song. But then years later, they're looking back and realizing that that song was not released until the following year. You start to get this weird issue with time. It's a little bit trippy, it's off, it's just that little bit of weird. 
It has a similar narrative structure to something like It, where you're talking about different timelines, and there's just so much going on in this book. But in terms of scariness rating, this one I can definitely say is room temperature. It's atmospheric, but it wasn't at all traditionally scary. And that again is Boys of Summer by Richard Cox. So my next book is Ghost Summer Stories by Tanner Eve Dew, and this is a collection of short stories that take place in Florida. The stories deal with literal and figurative ghosts, apocalypses, and monsters. I loved this book. I thought the writing was brilliant. She was great at adding subtle layers to the stories. Each story kind of played with a different part of horror and some stories were a little more speculative fiction. I just really connected to these stories. And at the end of each story, she would actually have a few sentences to explain why she wrote that story or where the idea came from. And I felt like that just added so much to kind of know what the author's intent was or like where they were at in life. I wish every short story collection had that. I was just going to say the same thing. I always want to know the inspiration behind stories. Like every novel and short story, can every author do that, please? I love that. I mean, even if they weren't, you know, super personal, even if it was just there was an anthology coming out and they needed a story based on this, like I still (laughs) would like to know. (laughs) Well, that might kind of break the immersion in some places. I needed to get paid. (laughs) rent was due. (laughs) There was one story that I wanted to talk about that I loved. It was about a teacher who buys this old Victorian house on a lake. And you know that she had a teaching job somewhere else. And she kind of uprooted her life and moved to this town in Florida and gets a job at a school. And it's a first person perspective. And she's narrating the story and talking about how she needs work done at her house. And she needs some of her male students to come help her do some work on the house and lay down some tile and she's talking about the process that she goes through to decide who would be good to help her do work on her house and I'm a very naive reader I guess because (laughs) later on in the story you find out like she's like a sexual predator like it's awful (laughs) and that was not my first thought while reading this story and that is not a spoiler there are a lot more elements to that story that I am not spoiling right now but that was something like I was reading it and it did not click for me I think until the end of the story I was like Oh, because I was like, that's weird. I don't think any of those things are going to help you lay down tile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) You're too naive to see the darkness in the story. Like, that's a very weird checklist, lady. (laughs) (laughs) That is just not practical. But yeah, so I loved this story. I would say this is a little more on the room temperature side, but it had great writing. The minute I finished this, I went out and bought another book by the author. So this is an author I am going to continue to check her works out. This was Ghost Summer Stories by Tana Reevedu. I am really excited to check out the collection just to hear how excited you've been about it. When you get excited about a story collection, I tend to get really excited too, so... Oh, yeah. And this one had a strong sense of place because they all take place in the same town in Florida. Good to know. You were right. I do enjoy a good sense of place. You just love them places. (laughs) So my next pick is The Summer Job by Adam Caesar. This story follows a college-age girl named Claire. After her former workplace burns to the ground, she takes it as a sign that it's time for a fresh start. She wants to find a new job in a new city away from her ex-boyfriend. So when she hears about a summer job working at a hotel, she jumps at the opportunity. However, when she gets there, she is pulled into the strange and sinister cult rituals 
of the hotel employees. So when I first went to pick this up, I originally thought it was a haunted house story about a hotel because apparently I'm really terrible at reading the synopsis beforehand. So it definitely mentioned the whole cult ritual angle and that completely took me by surprise. It wasn't until I was preparing for the episode and actually looking back at the book that I realized that it was very obvious from the back cover what this was about. This book does take a little while to get going, but it had a really thrilling ending once the narrative started to all come together. For me, this is actually the most relatable of the summer stories we're going to talk about because I was also someone who was always doing strange, random jobs between years of university. And I think anyone who's kind of in that place of going to school or just looking for that temporary work over the summer is going to see pieces of that story. You're just in that place where you're still between things. You're not necessarily sure what you want to do or what your real job is going to end up being. And a lot of the scenes take place around campfires at night with people drinking and just really capturing that like transitional period of time for young adults. So this one also has some great queer representation, which I'm now noticing every time we pick up books since our last episode. And this predominantly features a happily married lesbian couple. So I could have talked about it in that episode, but we already had so many picks, I thought I'd save it for this one. Scariness rating, it wasn't particularly scary, except there was some gruesome moments with harmed animals. So I feel like I do need to put this in the fridge just for that. And it was just a fun summer read. And that again is The Summer Job by Adam Caesar. That does sound like a fun one. So my next pick is one we've talked about before, but it just fits so perfectly in this episode that we couldn't not do it. And that is The Ruins by Scott Smith. And this follows four Americans who are vacationing in Mexico. A fellow vacationer is looking for his missing brother who was working on an archaeological dig near some ruins and elicits the help of the Americans. The Americans agree to come, but when they run into some locals on the way to the ruins, things take a turn for the worse. They become trapped and have to deal with some difficult decisions. This is a great example of a survival horror story. It is very gory. One thing that I like about this story is the characters and the way that they relate to each other and the environment and how everything is changing. I thought he just did a good job of portraying that in a realistic way, how each person would react. And I think it was easy as a reader to find, you know, which one is you? <laughs> how would you react in this situation? Spoiler alert, I would not be the level-headed one that, you know, thinks about the future and conserving supplies. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Do not take me camping. I don't know how many times <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced at this point. <laughs> You're not my survival buddy. I'm sorry. So this book also has a movie adaptation that I thought was pretty good. They did change a few things, but I thought it was still a really good movie. My sister, who is not a big horror movie person or really into horror, watched it with me and she was on the edge of her seat and completely glued to the screen and invested in this story. So it is a really good movie, a really good adaptation, even with the changes. And a few months ago, my husband and I went to Mexico and a group of us did go visit some ruins. And guys, no one got my jokes that I was making about the ruins <laughs> because none of the people I were with were horror fans. But I'm like, we're four Americans checking out some ruins. Hope nothing bad happens to us. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> 
I remember you sending pictures back home and at least the rest of us appreciated what was happening. We're like, oh my gosh, you're at the ruins. Come back safe. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, I will say this is a freezer book. Stuff goes down. Stuff happens. I definitely agree with that. I think it's so cool you got to see the ruins in person. Kind of a shame you didn't get to go with horror fans that could appreciate how terrifying that is. Yeah. I will never look at those without thinking about that book. Yeah, I know. Well, like the person we were staying with, he was like, you guys want to go visit some ruins? And I was like, this doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly how it all starts. Yep. I know this story, guys. So my last pick is Kill River by Cameron Rubik. Set in 1983, this story follows a young teenage girl named Cindy. After breaking up with her childhood best friend, she's become a bit of a loner who spends a lot of her time indoors listening to music instead of going out and socializing. So one day, her parents decide to send her off to summer camp because they think it'll be good for her. She is reluctant to go, but ends up making some friends once she gets there. One night, her new friends decide to sneak away from camp in order to do some rafting at a nearby river. During this adventure, they end up coming across an abandoned water park called Thrill River. At first, they are excited to have the entire park to themselves, but when one of their group goes missing, they realize that they are not actually alone, but instead being picked off one by one. So yes, this is another slasher by Rubik, the author of Disco Death Trap, who I talked about a couple episodes back when we talked about indie horror. This is my personal favorite of his books. It has a lot of character development. I really cared which characters were going to survive. I wanted to know who was going to live to the end. And I personally really liked the character of Cindy. I just thought she was really relatable and realistic as a teenage girl. I don't know about you, Stephanie, but I definitely went through those periods of awkward school where your best friend dumps you and things like that. So I was like, oh, Cindy, I really feel for you. So I really liked that the author brought in such a relatable character. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know if you were the popular girl. Don't tell me. Oh, please. I don't think anyone <laughs> listening is like Stephanie was definitely in the popular crowd. And of course, knowing Rubik, this had a lot of great classic retro references. This one had a lot of music by the Go-Go's and the Bangles and references to things like crimping hair. And I, of course, loved all of it. I've never gone to a sleepaway camp myself, but I think for a lot of other people, it'd be a really relatable experience. And in terms of scariness, I'm going to put this one as fridge because as a slasher, it does have an element of gore. But I feel like my rating is somewhat biased by the fact that I am personally very, very afraid of water slides. <laughs> and we've kind of talked about this before. I've mentioned that I don't know how to swim very well. But the reason I'm scared of water slides is that as a child, I went to a birthday party and the way the water park was designed, you went down the slide and then if you just took a few steps after getting off the slide, you immediately fell into the deep end. Oh. And so I just took a few steps, fell in and was over my head beneath the water and I couldn't swim so I was jumping up and down to like get up and eventually my uncle noticed me because the lifeguard didn't so I'm also traumatized that lifeguards aren't good at doing their jobs. So since then I really hate going on water slides because in my mind I will always associate it with that experience which was quite literally terrifying. Like I said a little bit of the scariness rating is biased to the fact that I think water parks are terrifying terrible places to be. Why would you go there and do that on purpose? <laughs> I'm a pretty strong swimmer, but I don't like water slides. And then there was that story about that kid that got decapitated on a water slide. So I think they're ruined for me for a while. I did not hear about that, but it was in the US. 
more proof not to have water slides. They're terrifying. <laughs> oh, just not necessary. Yeah. And I know you're currently reading it. Yeah, I am. So I'm at like the very beginning. So Cindy has like just gotten to camp and like met her camp counselor and is kind of meeting the kids that she's going to be hanging out with. So I'm enjoying it. For both of us not liking young adult main characters, she definitely doesn't read as annoying. Yeah. She reads pretty relatable. And there's also a sequel, Kill River 2, and I'm definitely excited to read that one. Yeah, I bought that one too. I bought them both in one go. <laughs> nice. And talking about this book actually reminded me of one more thing going back several episodes ago. We were talking about creepy towns, which led us into a conversation about being creepy Instagrammers. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to take a picture of this book and put it on my Instagram. And I was trying to be creative and like I always see the really creative bookstagrammers. And so I was like, well, I'll go to the park near my house with a book. And if I take the picture at the right angle, maybe people won't be able to tell that it's a playground park and it will look like a water slide park. Because anyway, it's not like I want to get the book wet in an actual water park. So I walked to the park and there were kids there. And so I took my book and went back. And then I went back again and finally there was no one there. So I like went up on like the playground and like was positioning it with my phone on the slide. And then I looked over and there was like kids and their parents there. And I just felt really weird and awkward. (laughs) I felt like if you went to the park with your child and saw like me there and you didn't know it was me, like that's what you call the cops. I just (laughs) took my book, went back to my house. I never even got a good picture. It was a wasted effort all around and oh, I just no. felt like a creeper. <laughs> You're on the neighborhood watch list now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, Rachel. It was bad. It was really bad. The things we do for Bookstagram. So can we talk about some chilling obsessions now? Yes, please do. I want to hear all the love right now. Great, because first I want to talk about Get Out, which I think everyone but me has already watched. I know you talked about it on our Best of the Year episode, Mm -hmm. and I just kind of smiled and nodded when you were talking about it because I knew very little about the movie when we were recording that episode. But oh my goodness, it's amazing. You told me I'd love it, and you were absolutely right. Yeah, I just knew it was one of those stories that has so many details, and like you need to rewatch it, and there's layers to the story and subtlety in the storytelling. And I know those are all things that you and I both really appreciate. And I was like, Rachel, you need to watch this. Yes, you knew my taste perfectly when it comes to movies. So I think pretty much everyone knows that it's a story of a biracial couple that are going to meet the Caucasian woman's parents for the first time, and things are just not quite right which is my favorite kind of quiet horror when you know it's just off it's just weird but you can't quite put your finger on what's happening and there's lots of hints things like that I just loved everything about it I remember you saying you've actually watched it more than once right Mm -hmm. yeah I think I've watched it two or three times oh I'm not surprised why because I feel like there's so much you pick up the second time around But at the same time, I was glad I went in without knowing too much. I was really lucky not to be spoiled. I knew it had won an Oscar for, I believe, the screenwriting. And I knew everyone loved it, but I really didn't know the details. So I tried so hard to keep myself in this little bubble. And I somehow conned my husband into doing this as a date night. And he was like, well, this isn't a horror movie, right? I was like, "Uh, people call it a thriller, suspense. And he's like, (laughs) okay. But of course, once we watched it, I knew his taste. He absolutely loved it. He was talking about it for weeks afterwards. And 
I just thought it was just a perfect movie. I loved it so much. So that one was just brilliant. So finally, I'm caught up and for once, actually know what people are talking about with one of the big buzzy movies from last year. That's awesome. And because I can't limit myself to one, since everyone already knows about Get Out, I want to talk about another chilling obsession. And normally we try to keep this section kind of talking about something that's either brand new or maybe a little bit more underhyped, a little less known. Well, I'm breaking both those rules, and I also want to talk about The Walking Dead, the AMC TV show, which I feel like everyone knows about. But if we're going to take the title of the section literally and talk about obsessions, I can't not talk about this. I've wanted to talk about this every single time we've recorded, because I have been seasons one through seven in an embarrassingly short amount of time. Before <laughs> I go any further, I should ask, have you watched it? any of it I've actually never asked you I think I watched like four seasons of it okay so you've definitely seen a good portion of it or at least have a good idea of what it's about Mm -hmm. so I'll forgive you the fact that you haven't watched all the seasons and I think it's pretty (laughs) common so most people know it's a classic post-apocalyptic story about zombies and I just loved it it's so character driven that I think it appeals to people who don't necessarily like zombie stories I actually do like zombie stories on the screen it's something I actually share with my husband so while he says he doesn't like horror movies and horror tv shows somehow he hasn't realized that zombies count as horror so I'm going to (laughs) stick with that as long as possible I don't want to give away any spoilers for anyone who somehow hasn't watched it But I'll just mention some season one characters that I loved, not mentioning whether or not they survive or not. But I love Daryl, who of course is played by Norman Reedus. Carol has an amazing story arc. And I also love Shane because he's just good looking and I always like eye candy on the screen. So that's a plus. And I've, as I mentioned, watched all the way to season seven, which started so dark, we nearly stopped watching because it was the most depressing season opener that I've ever watched in my life. I was like, this is so dark, I can't do this. But then the season turned around and Negan became my favorite villain ever for any show or movie period. He's so cocky. Anyone who's actually watched this far in knows what I'm talking about, but he has this voice and this way of talking and he's like, oh, you man, you have some big balls. And like, he just has this cocky way of just getting under your skin I think it's hilarious I just cannot get enough of Negan so I'm technically a season or two behind and I guess the show is probably going to go on forever according to the writers but I just kind of had to gush about this for a little bit on the podcast so I'd love to hear if anyone else has caught up or is currently watching the most recent seasons I think a lot of people like you kind of stop partway through and I'd say like the earlier seasons are more about the survival against the zombies which I thought was interesting in its own way and then the later seasons are much more about the terrible things that people do to each other Mm -hmm. and make a really good point that at the end of the world for the most part the really nice people do get killed off and you have to make a lot of terrible choices in order to survive so there would be a lot of bad people at the end of the world which is sad and possibly true so I personally love horror about terrible people doing terrible things so it's just been right up my alley and I've actually enjoyed some of the later seasons even more than the earlier seasons and there was a couple slow ones in the middle which is probably where you dropped off but if you skip to like season six and seven it's so worth it and amazing and I just can't stop talking about Negan I think I left off in Alexandria yeah it gets better after that again okay (laughs) Carol was my favorite when I was watching it the whole way through so I'm glad to hear she's still rocking it 
So the movie I want to talk about is The Black Coat's Daughter. And I watched this because when we interviewed Paul Tremblay, we were talking about Osgood Perkins, who acquired the rights to Head Full of Ghosts. And I was talking about how much I enjoyed his other movie, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in Your House, that's on Netflix. And Paul Tremblay was like, oh, you know, he also did The Black Coat's Daughter, which is really good. And I was scrolling through Amazon Prime in the horror genre, and I was going and going, and I was way further than I usually go. And this popped up. And I think with the cover, it's something I would have scrolled past. But because I heard the title, I decided to give it a try. And I'm really glad that I did, because it was definitely the kind of movie that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. This takes place at a Catholic girls boarding school during winter break. Everyone is dismissed. Everyone is gone. There's just like two nuns left and these two girls that are still waiting for their parents to pick them up. So they have to spend the night and they have to confront an evil that infiltrates the school. I think with Osgood Perkins style, like I have the pretty thing that lives in your house is the same way in that it's very slow. You have that sense that like something is off and something is going to happen I think the payoff doesn't come until a lot closer to the end, which I think is not everyone's cup of tea when it comes to horror, but it's something that I think just really works for me personally. And oh man, this was great. I thought the casting was great. Emma Roberts is in it. And Kiernan Shipka, who was Sally Draper from Mad Men, was absolutely perfect for this role. And I'm wondering how good her relationship is with Osgood Perkins, because I kind of want her on Head Full of Ghosts. Ooh. I'm mentally casting her as either Marjorie or an older Mary. I just thought she did a really good job of just like what she needed to do for this role. Just like this creepiness kind of being this kind of awkward girl. I don't know. She was absolutely fantastic. And the movie had this great aesthetic. It's winter. It's bleak. I thought it was beautifully shot. And the whole time I was watching it, I was so excited that this is the director that's going to do Head Full of Ghosts. That sounds so good. I know you were telling me to go watch it, and I think I can find it on Shutter, so I definitely will. And hopefully, it won't take too long to do that because when you told me to watch Get Out, I took way too long to get around to that. <laughs> so you have earned all the respect of recommending good horror movies. So I definitely need to follow up and actually get to this one sooner than later because mm-hmm. that just sounds so good. Yeah, it was really good. I will say, like, it, all the like bad reviews that I saw were people just complaining that it was slow. So I'm telling you right now. It is slow. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can email us at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all previous episode at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. And a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, and PT. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app, iTunes or Stitcher. Word of mouth is the best way to help the podcast grow and ratings just really help people find us. Some recent reviews. Natomicron says, love Books in the Freezer. Books in the Freezer is such an enjoyable podcast for aficionados of the horror genre or those just being exposed to it. Stephanie and Rachel bring so much passion to the topic that it's hard even for someone who isn't much of a horror reader to take interest in the subject. Strong recommendation for any listener interested in podcasts that focus on literature, popular culture, or interested in learning about this very cool genre. Thank you. Kupo Jason says, great podcast for horror newbies. As someone who wanted to get into horror but didn't know where to start, this podcast is great. Ever since starting this podcast, I've dived headlong into horror books. Yay, that makes us happy. 
I know. I always love hearing that people have gotten more into horror since listening to the podcast. I feel like we've done our job. Definitely. And last review from Liz slash Ghost in the Burbs, which is also a great podcast. Definitely go check that out. Brilliant book talks. I am in love. I'm a former librarian and this is the best fix of smart, fun book recommendations of my favorite kind of stories. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to tell everyone I know about the podcast. Yay. Thank you. And that's so great. And honestly, word of mouth is so much a part of helping the podcast grow. So we always appreciate shout outs on Twitter, Instagram, or just, you know, yelling at your neighbor across the street to go listen to the podcast. That works too. Anything works. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. I also have a bookish Instagram if you want to see what I'm reading. That's at that's what she read, but two A's in that's. And I'm also on YouTube as that's what she read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter if you want to talk books at shades underscore orange. And I'm also on YouTube as well as Instagram at the shades of orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.